my name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're, uh, we're thankful that you're with us this morning. Uh, our first impression team is going to begin handing out their connection card booklets down the rows. These go down the rows. If you're the last person in the row, you can just leave that underneath your seat. I want to draw your attention to a couple next steps in there for you to be aware of and for you to respond to if this is a next step for you. Discover Crosspoint is our membership class. This takes place on the 17th. Details are in your program in the afternoon from 3 to 5 on the 17th. And so if you're a Christ follower, if you call this church home, this is a great next step for you if you haven't done it before, is, is make this uh, connection to the church formal, if you will, to covenant with the church, uh, with one another, to follow the Lord together, to live 3D together. And so in this class is an opportunity for, for us to look at what does the New Testament say about the local church? What does it look like to be a member of the local church? As well as to encourage you in what it looks like to love God, love people, and make disciples and live 3D. And so if that's an opportunity, opportunity for you, mark uh, Discover Crosspoint membership on that connection card, or you can sign up back at Guest Connections. Also, community groups start up next week or the week after, depending on the group. And so if you're not connected to a group, mark that box, and, uh, and we'll be in contact with you this week to connect you to a group. On the back of your program, there's a couple, there's a few groups listed, and I want to draw, draw your attention to a couple of those. One is Merge Gospels. That begins on the 17th. Merge Gospels is a, is a book that takes Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and, and weaves that into one chronological story. Uh, and so it's a great opportunity to see the life of Christ, uh, uh, his ministry, how he made disciples, to see that with fresh eyes, if you will. And so if you're not in a group, that's happening on Sunday mornings, beginning on the 17th. And then also Financial Peace University kicks off Sunday the 10th in the evening. Last week I said something about uh, that we would make a way possible for you to uh, be involved in that class if money is the, is the one thing keeping you from the class which we don't want that to be the case. And so after I said that, uh, we've had two Crosspoint households, in, the, in a sense, raise their hand or say, you know what, we'll help. We'll give $100 or we'll help out with families who, who are in need who want to take the class. And so I put that out to you again today. If money is the one thing ke keeping you from taking a class on money that you need to take so that money's not an issue, we'll find a way to help you. So make sure you raise your hand, talk to Eric Pigman, talk to myself and uh, we will help you with that. Brad, you want to come up now? This next spring break, uh, Brad and Erica Lehman are leading a mission trip to Guatemala, and here's some more details. Good morning. As Dave said, Eric and I are going to be uh, leading a team to Guatemala next spring break. Um, Eric and I love the calling of the Great Commission. Um, hopefully someday at some point in time that that calling will be full-time, um, but until that happens, we are excited to work alongside of missionaries that are currently in the field. Um, one of the goals that we have, uh, actually where we're going is in Guatemala, there's an orphanage called Village of Hope, um, and that is um, being run currently by Todd and Amy Block that are originally from the Bloomington area. Um, one of the goals as we head this team up is to think about what our, what our uh, work will be in the field. And honestly, as we gather this group together uh, to head, what we are trying to do is really just come alongside them in the field. They're, they're in the work in the trenches every day doing the work that God has called them to. 
And I feel like as a work team, that as we go down, it's to stand beside them, working with the, um, uh, the programs that they have started um, to help them in any capacity that they need to just take a little pressure off of them and, and to come alongside them. Um, so the invite that I have for you is April 2nd through the 8th. It's the day after Easter will leave. Um, and we have a current size right now. We've got about 15 to 20. depends on how you add the kids in and the possibilities of question marks beside them. We have about 15 to 20. The group size that we can take is 30 people, and I would love to fill that up if we could. Um, and I also want to make this uh, plug. Last time I spoke, we showed the video of the Village of, uh, of Hope. Um, and if you want to check them out, it's called villageofhope.org, I believe. If you, it'll bring up their website, and they've got videos and all kinds of stuff about what their uh, mission there is in Guatemala. Um, but one of the plugs I'd like to make is with, with HYPE students, and that's uh, something I forgot to do last time. Um, we would love to, to take a group of HYPE students with us. John has already w talked about um, money available for HYPE students um, for missions work. One of the things that we would say is that a high school student, where you're welcome to come along by yourself, middle school students, jab your parents and bring them with you, okay? Middle school, we'd like to have you have a guardian with you or a parent with you when you come. Um, October 8th, if you want to write this on the calendar, we're going to have a short meeting probably back in the Sun Chasers area um, after church just to give a little bit more detail about what this would look like and how this is all going to happen. And, um, because by August, I'm sorry, October 15th, we would like to have the team together and know who that team is because John and I have really been working together and he's got some great ideas as far as helping raise support, um, how to get letters out, how to do a few nights of us support raising. So again, financially, there'll be some underwriting, hopefully by the church, um, by some of the stuff that we can put together as a team to help raise support for that. Um, but we'll get in all those uh, details um, really in depth more October 8th. But if you do have questions, obviously you can talk to myself, you can talk to John, and we can help answer some of those questions for you. Um, one plea that I have for the body here is that uh, obviously we'd love to fill those last spots and take a full team down, but we also know that A, not everybody has a calling, not everybody has the time, but what would we, we would ask for is starting now even, as a prayer covering for us as we prepare this team to go down. Um, and also even consider uh, financially supporting the team as we go down. And I'm sure we can work out details of, of how that money would work or look like. Um, that's really all I have, other than the fact that if you have any questions, just come see John or I. Um, we can answer some of the questions. I don't want to give out all the details because there's, then there's no reason to have an October 8 meeting. Uh, to get everybody together, but also October 8th uh, after church back in, uh, in Sun Chasers. So we would love to fill up the team. We appreciate and uh, cover your prayers as we prepare for that. Thanks, Brad. <clears throat> if you have a Bible, go to uh, Colossians 4. That's where we're going to be today. Today we finish up a, uh, a four-week series that we've, we've called Engaged, a four-week series that uh, is in a sense giving us some vision and challenge and encouragement about where we're going as a church over the next year, some things that need to occupy our interest and our attention, things that need to that we need to be as God's people engaged in. And so we've been in the book of Colossians over the past few weeks. We finished that today. If you missed a week along the way, I would encourage you 
to uh, listen or watch online. This last week we had some YouTube streaming difficulties, and so the audio of the message is available on our website. So if you've gone out there and you just see uh, the worship team or myself talking and there's no audio, it's not your fault. We had some difficulties, and so you can listen to that online on our website. Last week we talked about living out our new identity in Christ that we want to be engaged in living out that new identity. Part of being a, uh, that new identity that we have in Christ is that we no longer live for ourselves, but we live for the Lord. That, that when, when we are saved, we are not just uh, saved to sit, but we are saved to go and to serve and to be a part of God's kingdom and His, and His work. And that, that mission or that, that new identity is something that we live out 24-7, 365. It's all of life. It's not a compartment of life. It's all of life. As a church, we articulate our vision statement this way, that we want to be devoted to Jesus, dedicated to one another. We want people to understand what it looks like to live life in the family of God. That's membership, discover cross-point community groups, those kind of things, serving. And then we want to be a people who are driven to reach people, that we understand that the gospel is too good for us not to share. And so as we go out and as we reach others, we want them to be devoted to Jesus, dedicated to one another, and driven to reach people. We want, we want them to discover what new community looks like within the family of God, within, within the local church. We want them to then, then be equipped and sent out to go make disciples in their context and in, in the community that they live in. And so it continues to come full circle. If it doesn't come full circle, then we've ceased to follow the Jesus of the Bible. Because he said, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He didn't just say, come follow me and keep it to yourself, but he said, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. It comes full circle. And so as a church, we want to be a church seeking to follow the Jesus of the Bible. He's called us as a church to go, to be sent into the world, to be on mission for him. So what does that look like? Today, today we're looking at five verses from Colossians, which I believe help us get our heads around what it looks like in the life of a Christian, there are two parts of our lives. There's this inner life and an outer life. The inner life of prayer, solitude, uh, reading the Word, studying the Word, memorizing the Word, <clears throat> being with our Father in heaven, uh, in solitude, that vertical relationship with Him. We see this in the Gospels where Jesus got away early in the morning to be with His Father in heaven before ministry, before mission ever happened. He was with his Father in heaven, in solitude, rest, retreat, an inner life that Jesus cultivated with the Father. And so he talks about this in John 15, that the inner life, that as a, as a Christ follower, we are, we wanna, we're a branch and we want to remain connected to the vine as the analogy he gives us. And that apart from him, we can do nothing but with him, connected to him, that vertical relationship, then our lives bear fruit. There's an inner life to the Christ follower. There's also an outer life. The horizontal relationships we have with one another, the, the public life, the life that we uh, are not, is not lived out in solitude. <clears throat> it's not lived out in um, prayer closets or in seclusion or just us and our Bible, but it's lived out the other six days of the week, 24-7, in relationship. Jesus didn't always retreat. He didn't always rest. He didn't always go away, but he went away, and then he also did public ministry. He preached, he healed, 
he did public ministry. There's an inner life to the Christian, and there's an outer life. We'll see Paul address both of those in these five verses. I called this message Engaged in Prayer and Mission because we see both in this passage. Because to be engaged in prayer means that we will be engaged in mission. It should lead to mission. And as we are engaged in mission, it should lead us to to prayer, a dependence upon God who is the one doing the work. One mistake we make in thinking about the Christian life is seeing it as just an inner life to be uh, cultivated. It's just me, my Bible. It's just me in prayer. It's just me, time with the Lord. It's just I've got my personal relationship with Him, but I keep that private. I, I never share my faith. I never pray out loud. I never, I never let anyone really know that I'm a Christian. If they figure it out magically, great. Then maybe I'll talk about it. But it's just this private life that we live out in private. But what happens is then we, there's no outward, no living for the Lord, no kingdom work for Him. Then on the flip side of this is we just focus on the outer life of the Christian. We do a lot of things for Him. We tell people about Him. We serve. We do a lot of things outwardly. But there's very little inward, uh, inner life cultivation. Very little uh, branch connecting to the vine. Very little of you by yourself opening up the Word of God, reading it. Very little you praying, cultivating a vertical relationship with the Father. And so your focus tends to be on the horizontal in living for Him. Each of us are probably bent one way or the other. We're probably bent toward either uh, cultivating that inner life at the expense of an outer life or vice versa. But what we need to be as Christ followers is cultivating both because they feed each other. That inner life with the Lord, that vertical relationship with the Father, that's what then captures our heart and then compels us to live for Him. And then as we live for Him, we recognize that we cannot do that in our own strength and that we depend upon the Lord. We need to cultivate that inner life as well. Prayer leads to mission and mission leads to prayer. To be devoted to Jesus leads us to be driven to reach people and that then leads us again to be devoted to Him, understanding He's the one that does the work. So I want to read the five verses, and then we'll go back through them. In the ESV today, it says this, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door, or open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer, how you ought to answer each person. Verse 2, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. I love how it starts here. Before we ever talk about mission, before we ever talk about evangelism, we start with verse 2. Paul calls us to prayer. You see this throughout the New Testament. Uh, Luke 18, we are to pray without giving up. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing or pray continually. The idea here is we are praying with perseverance, steadfastness, vigilance, fervor. Prayer is not a compartment to our life, but it's it's an ongoing undercurrent to our life. 
An aspect of prayer is this, requests being made to God. It's not the only thing that prayer is, but it is one aspect of prayer. Petitionary prayer, laying our appeals before the Lord. You and I need to know that God delights in our prayer. The second half of Proverbs 15, 8 says, The prayer of the upright is his delight, or it pleases him. And so he loves to hear from his children. He loves to hear from those whose faith and trust is in him. Prayer reveals to us two things. It reveals that God is completely sufficient and we are completely helpless. It shows that God is not lacking and so we come to him in prayer because we understand that we are lacking. When we don't pray, when we are prone to be um, lacking in prayer, when that happens, it reveals to us, it should reveal to us, that in those moments, our hearts are basically saying, we are sufficient. God must not be able. Or God does not care. We are sufficient, and if we're going to make something happen in this life, then we're going to make it happen. And if we get ourselves into a pickle, then maybe we'll call out to him. The creator of the cosmos, we are basically saying, is not able to handle my request my need, my issue. And that sounds silly for us to say that out loud. And we would probably never say that in in polite Christian company. But that's when we lack in prayer, that's what gets revealed in our hearts, that we think we are sufficient and that we are not helpless. And somehow we are projecting upon God that he is. Here the Holy Spirit is saying, devote yourselves to prayer. Be steadfast in prayer. Now, that command in in verse 2 is not going to shock anyone. No one's going, wait, I'm a Christian. I'm supposed to talk to God? What? That's so weird. In a marriage, when a husband and wife are struggling to communicate or when there's not much communication happening, it reveals that there's something sick or broken about the relationship. The same is the case when a son or daughter of God does not talk to our Father in heaven on a consistent basis. It reveals that something is broken about the relationship. Maybe a broken understanding about that identity in Christ, a broken understanding of who we are in Christ or that father relationship. Maybe it's pride or self-sufficiency on our part. Maybe it's apathy. As the Spirit exposes whatever those motivations are, a few weeks ago John was preaching and, and asked the question when it came to Bible reading and prayer, Sometimes, as Christians, we just say, yeah, I need to pray more. Yeah, I need to read my Bible more. But we never uh, ask the Spirit of God to expose the motivations in our heart that lead to us struggling to read our Bible or or struggling to pray. We've got to get to the motivations, our heart motives, that would lead us to avoid prayer, lead us to avoid the Word. As we get to those, as the Spirit exposes those in us, and there's a variety of things there. It's another message, another day. But there, as the Spirit exposes those, we confess those. And then we ask God to change us because He's able and because He loves us. And He loves us enough not to leave us that way. I think for most of life, or because of our own flesh, I should say, we're not prone to ask for help from anybody because we see ourselves as self-sufficient. And then when we get saved... We carry that with us as as our old man, our old identity in Christ, and that's something that needs to be put off. 
And so we carry that with us as Christ followers and we begin to project that upon God. Instead of understanding that we've been shown amazing grace, He's pursued us, He's rescued us. And so we don't just call out for Him for salvation, but then we call out to Him as the posture of our life. And then we're given two characteristics describing the manner in which we are to pray. Being watchful. When you're watchful, you're awake and you're alert. This is one of our prayers that we've had over the past year, wake us. We've had six prayers, that's one of them, wake us, that we would be alert, watchful. The New Testament continually calls Christians to be watchful in light of Jesus' one-day return, meaning you understand the nature of the time that we live in, that this life is, is short, it's but a vapor, Scripture says. And so we understand that in the time that we've been given, we're going to do kingdom work. We're going to reflect and represent our Father in heaven. Being watchful isn't also just about end times, but it means that you're aware that God is at work, that you're remaining watchful for how He's answering prayer, where He's moving, how you can join Him in that work. The next word we see there is with thanksgiving. So we continue steadfast in prayer, being watchful and being thankful. Not only in prayer do we ask God for things, but we express our, or our gratitude, our thanksgiving. As we are watchful, as we see God at, God at work, we thank Him for that work. It's, the continue, it's one of those postures of a Christ follower that we are to be thankful. I had a friend years ago, and he just whispered throughout his day, thanks, Lord, thanks, Lord, thanks, Lord. Small things, big things. Not always, like, not just green light things, but also difficult things. Thanks, Lord, thanks, Lord. It was this undercurrent to his way of life, an undercurrent that, that reflected uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.17. He's praying without ceasing. He's praying continually. It's just this posture that knows that his father has not forsaken him, and so he wants to live with thanksgiving, thanks, Lord, thanks, Lord, throughout his day. The inner life of a Christian is cultivated in prayer when we remain watchful, alert, as well as when we, when we remain thankful. And then verse 3, in your inner prayer life, he's saying, don't forget to pray for us too. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. There's this collective nature to these verses, and I love that, and we should not miss that. As we engage in prayer and mission, we don't do it alone. We do it alongside one another. We pray for one another and we pray with one another. We go on mission together during the week. And so what's Paul praying for? The first thing he's praying for is an open door for the message. And that message is the message of Christ. So this is not about Paul, but rather he wants a good news or wants an open door for the good news because it has the power to transform and change. Colossians 1.6 said, the gospel is what's bearing fruit and growing all over the world. So that's the, that's the message we want proclaimed. I love this simple reminder, and if I pray we would get it. God is the one who opens the door. God is the one who creates that conversation to happen. He is the one who prepares the way for the message. He is the one that softens the heart, cultivates the heart, so that when the seed of the word is planted by you and I, it can fall on fertile soil. 
Ephesians 2.10 says, God has uh, prepared good works in advance for us to do so that we might walk in them. So he's the one preparing the good work. Our role is to walk in them. Our role is to walk through the door. He's the one that opens the door. We must be a people engaged in prayer before we are a people engaged in mission. If we try to engage in mission before prayer, we're missing the point of this passage. Too often as we think about evangelism and mission, we go straight to, okay, so what do I say? Am I going to be able to answer their questions? What if they ask that question? I just don't know. What if they bring up something I've just never heard before? What's the question that's going to open the door for them? What's the question that's going to kind of cultivate a a conversation? Listen, the door opens because God opens the door and because you've asked God to open the door in prayer. And we pray for the door to open so that the grace and truth of Jesus Christ might be shared. Who are you praying for right now? Who's in your life right now that you're praying for? Praying that God would open a door to? A spouse? A child? A roommate? Friend at school? Coworker? Boss? Some extended family member? Who are you asking God that he would open a door for the message to be proclaimed? I pray as a church that we would all have someone, if not someones. And if we don't, we would ask God to expose that in us and give us someone, because that just means we're blind to it. They're there, and God's providentially placed you in their life for such a time as this. Who are you praying for? And 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 my challenge to you is pray for them by name, and then be watchful, for how he's going to work, and then be thankful as he works. The verse says he wants God to open a door for the word so that he and others might declare the mystery of Christ. A false thinking that that Christians fall into is that we think that we can be engaged in mission without ever saying anything. The word declare, some of your translations may say proclaim, reminds us that that living on mission is not just having our faith on display. It's talking about our faith. It's talking about the gospel. There's a verbal element that we will not, nor should we try to, avoid. Around Crosspoint, we use this analogy of show and tell. Think back to your grade school days. Um, The kid walks in with his rock collection, let's say, and he gets in front of the class and he holds that rock collection he just says, he doesn't say anything, he just. He doesn't answer any questions, he just stands there awkwardly holding his rock collection. Okay? Awkward, probably wouldn't go well for him when it came, came to the grading scale. It'd be equally awkward if a kid came in and said, let me tell you about my rock collection. Oh, I forgot it. I don't carry it with me, but let me tell you about it. I play with my rock collection on Sunday mornings, and I, and I you know, kind of look at it, and it's really neat. It's amazing. I, let me tell you all about it. But he never brought it in. There's no evidence of, his, of the rock collection in his life. But he talked about it, or he would share words about it. 
To be engaged in mission means we show and we tell. So we can't just assume that someone will understand the mystery of Christ, will understand the gospel without us saying words, without us telling. And in the same way, your way of life matters. Your way of life matters. You can't out of one side of your mouth say, yeah, I'm a Christian, and uh, yeah, and, and then live and speak and write in a way that doesn't reflect that new identity in Christ at all that gives no evidence of your faith in Christ. A transformed life is glorifying to God. It's testimony to a world that, that watches. And so are the words that come out of our mouth speaking of the gospel, speaking of Jesus and how he's changed our lives. We must show and we tell. In a sense, Paul is saying, I will proclaim Jesus despite my circumstances and situation. Despite the fact that it got me thrown into prison, I will not stop talking to others about Jesus, declaring to him, or de declaring him to those around me. Chains, circumstances, none of those are going to limit his willingness to share because it's the gospel that changes lives. And so we boldly and we lovingly and we contagiously show and tell of Jesus and his good news. And he wants us to declare the message, but he wants it to be clear. That's his next prayer in verse 4, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. He's praying for courage, conviction to walk through the door, but he's also praying for clarity. What good is an open door if no one has the courage to walk through it? What good is a clear message if we're not asking God to open up that door? If we're relying on our own wisdom and power to open the door? Too often nowadays, the good news message is unclear or kind of muddied up, or we assume that people understand it. But in today's world, it just isn't the case. The good news needs to be clear. Paul prayed for clarity. We need to as well. Too often in our culture, especially in the Midwest, rural, small town, we assume that people understand what the gospel of God's grace really is, or we assume that our kids will get it because they, they're around church things. Or we assume that, well, I grew up in a small, small town, so did you, and so you get this, right? The sad reality is that it just isn't the case. Also in our world, it is tempting to try to change the gospel, to tweak it, to add emphasis here, to remove emphasis here, to add this part, remove this part, in a sense, trying to make it more appealing. Romans 1 doesn't call us to that, though. Romans 1 says it's the, the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of all who would believe. And so by us changing the chemistry, if you will, of the gospel message, we are removing it of its power. We are removing it of the power that it had to save our own lives and transform our own lives. And so we don't add or subtract or tweak or slightly alter We need to be clear about what the gospel is. Otherwise, people will think in our context, in this, uh, in this community and in, in this region, they will think the gospel is just be a moral person or be a good person, whatever that means, be a better person, be a better version of yourself, those kind of things. Turning your life around, cleaning your life up. But the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of God's grace is not be a moral person. 
It's you, were, you and I were dead in our sin, alienated, separated from God because of our sin, rebels before God, disregarded his ways, and Jesus has come in the flesh to rescue us so that we would no longer be alienated and, separ- and separated, but he's called us to be reconciled. If we don't make the gospel clear, then we're assuming things that we should never assume. Because here's what happens. Someone sees your life change, and they see the outward, the show part of your life begin to change. But if you don't give the reason for the hope that you have, a reason for those changes, that, then, then they're going to assume that it was just you cleaning up your act, if you will. But you say, no, no, yeah, I'm making outward changes, but here's why. It's because God has transformed my heart. There's an inner change that's happened here, and that's resulting in outward change. It's not the other way around. I'm trusting in God. I've surrendered. I've humbled, and God is transforming the outward life that you see. But let me tell you about the inner life. Let me tell you about how he's transformed my heart. One of the clearest ways to communicate the good news is four chapters um, some say creation, fall, rescue, restoration. Uh, others say God, man, Jesus, and response. We'll go with that one for today. It's the same idea. But again, it begins with Genesis 1 and 2. It begins with creation. It begins with God, that God is holy, that we have been created in His, in his image and likeness, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. It begins with God with creation and then man, Genesis 3, the fall of man. We've sinned against our our God. We've wandered away from him. And we look at the world and we see the brokenness of the world and we're fully aware we see evidence of the fall all the time in our own hearts as well as in the world. None of us can claim we are perfect compared to the holiness of our God. The The result of our sin is death and judgment unless we are rescued. And this is where Jesus enters in the rescue. He has come as a baby, took on flesh to dwell among us, to rescue, to be the hero, to lay down his life, to take on our sin, to die in our place. And through his death, the wrath of God is satisfied and we are adopted and we are given his righteousness. And finally, the last chapter is our response to that good news. We respond not just by acknowledging that that God, man, and Jesus are true, we respond in faith and repentance is what the Bible would call us to. Faith means that we've placed our entire faith in Him as if it's a parachute out of a plane. I'm placing my entire faith in that parachute. I'm placing my entire faith in what Jesus has done for me to bring about salvation, to bring about eternal life. Repentance means that I'm turning from my old way of life. I'm no longer agreeing with my ways. I'm agreeing with with God's ways. I'm going to live according to God's ways. I'm going to walk not just with Jesus as Savior, but Jesus as King, Jesus as Lord of my life. Paul's praying for God to open the door for the Word. He's praying for the courage and the conviction to speak, and he's praying for the clarity of the message as he speaks. And then in verse 5, he's shifting from the inner life of prayer to the outer life of a Christian. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, he says, making the best use of the time. Does this mean that every time you talk to someone, you've got to lay out God, man, Jesus, 
response. You've got to lay out all four chapters anytime you interact with someone. I don't think so. Because if that's the case, I think we've turned people just into projects and we've, again, we're just trying to shove open door after door after door. But I think this does mean that we will speak far more than we do now. We'll speak far more than we do now. James 1.5 is a reminder that as we pray for wisdom, God is generous to give that wisdom to us. Wisdom to know when to speak, when to listen, the right touch, the right tone, to be aware of how the Spirit is at work and join Him in that work. Practically speaking, here are four encouragements about how to make the best use of your time. The first one, slow down. And I'm pretty much going to preach myself in the next two sentences, okay? We slow down. We walk slowly. I think far too often we miss opportunities because we are just trying to get to the next thing and missing that God is at work in this moment. Not just God at work there. Next one, we look up. We look up from our phones. We look up from our phones. In public spaces, in your homes, and everywhere in between, we retreat to a virtual world and we miss the, miss the physical world that is right around us and that God has placed us next to this person or in this group or in your home and we retreat to a virtual world as if that's community. It's not. It's a lie. It's not building community. And it's also not mission. So we look up. We look up and we look around. Next idea, we ask great questions. We get to know their story. What's their story? What do they, what do they believe? What are they, what's their interactions with Christians, the church? Who is Jesus to them? What's their story? How does pain, where's pain at in their life? Where's brokenness and how they, how they relate to the fall, Genesis 3? And then finally, we listen. We are quick to listen. So often when it comes to showing and telling of the good news, you have to spend some time explaining what it's not. And the best way to get to there is listening to them, listening to what they're thinking, what they've heard, myths, lies, perceptions that they have. We need to listen. So often we're consumed with, what do I say? How best could we listen? Not only listen to them, but listen to the Spirit as He is at work. Making the most of every opportunity because one day we will not have the opportunity. One day either Jesus will return or we will be with Him face to face. And so we make the best use of the time that we've been given. Verse 6, call, continually calling us to live for Christ in our outer lives, not just our inner lives. It says this, let your speech always be gracious seasoned with salt so that you may know how, to, how you ought to answer each person. So in our speech, in all the words we use, casual conversations to sharing the gospel, we want to use a gracious and attractive tone. We talked about this briefly last week, but when we try to live this dual hypocritical life as a Christian where, where our words that we use do not reflect the new identity that we have in Christ, it's, it's not only sinful, but it's deeply confusing. When someone around you says, oh, that's what a Christian is? Great. So you don't really have to change. You can say you're a Christian. You can go there and do this thing, but you don't really have to change? Awesome. I, I'm a Christian too then. 
and it's deeply confusing to those around us. Show and tell, they both matter. Let your speech always be gracious. In the Greek, always means always. It means always. I, I took a whole class, and I never took a class. I didn't have to take a class. Always means always. So when, tension, when, when tensions are high, when you're in a hurry, when you're sharing on social media, when you're on email or texting, in the store, in your school, in your home, does this mean, a gracious tone mean that you'll never speak truth? No. Because Scripture also says we speak the truth in love. I have received words from my wife, from my kids, from friends, from believers in Christ, words of truth, but spoken in love. There were actually evidences of God's grace in my life, even though they were true, and even though they were confronting something wrong in my life. Okay? So always a gracious tone does not mean that we avoid truth. The more aware we are of the amazing grace we've experienced and are experiencing in this life, the more we will reflect that and speak that in our words. Always be gracious, seasoned with salt. Salt makes things taste better. Said another way, are the words we are using saying to the world, taste and see that the Lord is good? Our hearts must first be captivated with that truth before our words will reflect that. Before our words will overflow, our hearts first have to be captivated with that truth, with the amazing grace that we have received. Some of us listen to verse 6 and go, well, I, I won't know how to answer them. You're right. You, may, you and I may not know how to answer everything. But where's our trust at? Where's our trust rooted in? Because I think in those moments, what, what gets exposed in our hearts is we place the trust back on ourselves. Who is the one that actually changes hearts? Who is the one that actually opens the door? It is not your role to convince or convict. It is not your role to convince or convict. It's the Holy Spirit's role. Your role is to pray, to show and tell. You and I won't grow in trusting Him if we're unwilling to walk by faith. And you and I won't experience the joy that it is to be able to share good news with someone who is in desperate need of it until we walk through that door and go, that's how it feels. Hmm. Yeah, I want to do that again. I've had those moments. And they're not, they're not moments that cause me to run. They're moments that say, thanks, Lord. Thanks, Lord. Prayer leads to mission and mission leads to prayer. In the coming year and years as a church, this is what we need to be engaged in. This is what needs to occupy our interest and our attention. You could say that in this passage, Paul is addressing fears as it relates to mission. The fear of speaking, he addresses that. The fear of messing it up and the fear of missing an opportunity. Listen, the God of all the universe isn't resting the success of his mission on our ability and skill. He doesn't need us to be awesome. He needs us to be faithful. He needs us to be obedient. He needs us to be people who take, his, take him at his word and walk and live by faith according to that word. People who are growing in our love for him 
alongside other believers and then joining him on that mission to be an ambassador for Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 20 and 21 says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made, the one, he made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We're going to move into a time of communion now before we stand and sing. And in communion, we are reminded of the great love of our God on display through the sacrifice of a son. That he took on our sin. They bore the weight of our sin. On the cross, he took on our unrighteousness so that we could be covered in his righteousness. In communion, we remember the lavish display of love. A love that laid down its life for us. A love, 1 John tells us, that drives out fear. A perfect love that drives out fear. And when it comes to prayer and mission, we have fears that need to be driven out by His perfect love. And communion is a reminder of that perfect love on display on the cross. So if the ushers want to come up now, make sure you, as it gets passed, you get the, both cups, the bread and the juice, they're on top of one another. And we'll take those together as one church family, collectively, corporately, together as the family of God afterwards. But use this time for that inner life, for prayer, confession, thanksgiving. All right? May God be glorified as we enjoy Him in this moment. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat the bread. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink the juice. If the worship team could come back up now. <clears throat> Father, move us as a church to be steadfast in prayer. And as we pray that we would be watchful for how you're at work and that we would be thankful for how you're at work. Thankful that when we see the evidence and when we don't see it, that we would remain thankful and watchful. Father, we're asking you to, to open a door for the word. We're asking you to give us the supernatural courage and the conviction to speak. And that as we speak and as we engage in conversation, God, that your message would be clear. That it wouldn't be muddied up, but it'd be clear. As we go this week, as we live our lives this week give us opportunities to show and tell of your good news help us to walk in wisdom show us how to make the best use of the time that you and i have been given let our speech always be gracious seasoned with salt let our attitudes and the overflow of our hearts be taste and see that the lord is good And through your Spirit's power, and as we cultivate that 
inner life, as we're in your word and as we're in prayer, Lord, I pray that you would help us to know how to answer and how to respond and how to listen. Give us your wisdom as we walk and live this week, and may we walk and live in a way that glorifies you. In Jesus' name, amen.